For over 5,000 years of documented history, people have been using the cannabis plant as medicine. From ancient Chinese medical journals to the modern-day dispensaries, cannabis and its many medical uses have found their way to every continent on Earth. Today, as the prohibition against this plant is slowly being lifted around the world and our technological capacity grows exponentially, we finally have the opportunity to discover what this plant is truly capable of. Please join me, Matthew Myro, as I speak with the remarkable innovators working at the cutting edge of these discoveries. This is the Edge of Cannabis Medicine. This episode is brought to you by MJ.com and their brand new medical platform that they're rolling out in the San Francisco Bay Area. Have you visited MJ.com? MJ.com is the most trusted information source for all things cannabis. Whether you're a medical marijuana patient looking to find the right doctor or a consumer looking for exclusive savings at your favorite dispensary, MJ.com can bring you your favorite products right to your front door. Or maybe you're just a lover of the cannabis culture looking for the best original articles, interviews, podcasts, and educational information. MJ.com is the number one place to find everything you need. Visit MJ.com today. Hello, beautiful people. Thank you so much for joining me for this week's episode, and thank you for your interest in cannabis medicine. This is a beautiful medicine that is bringing so much positive change to so many people's lives, and I just feel so honored that I get to interview so many specialists, doctors, and researchers, and growers, and the people that are bringing this medicine to the people, and the people that are bringing the good quality information about this medicine to the people. So if you haven't already, please go over to iTunes or Stitcher and give me a rating. Let me know what you think. And I'd love to hear from you also. Send me an email, Matthew at edgeofcannabismedicine.com. I read everything. I appreciate everything and I'll always get back to you. So please go ahead and do that. And this week I have for you Sabrina Ramkelawan and she is a researcher up in Canada, which has less strict rules around researching cannabis than we do. And she She's done some really interesting things, helping to teach doctors, started her own education program at a university up there, and we get into some cool stuff, and she's a very interesting woman, and I'm sure that y'all are going to very much enjoy this episode with Sabrina. So without further ado, here we go. I am Matthew Myro, and this is the Edge of Cannabis Medicine podcast. And today's guest is Sabrina, Sabrina Ramkelawan. Sabrina started her career as a registered nurse with a critical care specialty and varied experience in pediatrics, pain and sleep medicine, community, and mental health. She has worked in academic and pharma research and clinical trials for 20 years. And Sabrina started in the cannabis industry in 2014, helping to build cannabis clinics and primarily helping companies with cannabis research and clinical trials. She is currently the co-founder and COO of Node Group Incorporated, which is a research and education consultancy specializing in plant-based medicines. During the last year, she worked with the Missioner Institute on Education at UHN on a 12-week comprehensive certified cannabis education program. Sabrina, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. 
Great. Well, so after all this time in pharma and academics and doing research and clinical trials, why did you make this jump in 2014 over to the cannabis industry? Well, it wasn't um, just like how I went from nursing to research. It wasn't really planned. It kind of fell in my lap. It was the same as cannabis. So um, in 2014, I was just doing as a consultant, just helping different research companies and things like that. And I was uh, approached by a gentleman that wanted to start up a cannabis clinic. And uh, because I'm a nurse and most healthcare professionals know nothing about cannabis, I mean, I knew enough that people used it, you know, with cancer pain and nausea and vomiting, but I didn't know about endocannabinoids. I knew nothing. So I was a little hesitant on taking on this role. So I have had experience building sleep clinics before. So I knew the clinical operation aspect, but, you know, in 2014, there weren't exactly a lot of courses that you could take to help you build a cannabis clinic and, and onboard doctors and nurses. So it was definitely, um, you know, I took on the challenge and, you know, that's why I kind of, I'm so big on education now because I wish I had a program back then, you know, I was doing YouTube searches to figure out how to use a vape. I mean, I had no (laughs) really, and I'm supposed to teach, you know, an 85 year old woman coming in with arthritis, how to do this. Cause in the beginning, um, in the cannabis industry, flour was the only thing that was approved before oils later on. So I'm here a nurse who's never used. And so at some point I had to use as well so I could figure out, you know, how things work and stuff like that. Um, but try to teach people how to vaporize, what temperatures were appropriate. And especially, I mean, I'd had elderly patients that had um, arthritis in the hands. It wasn't the most easy thing. So I had to figure out how to help them navigate or have them bring a family member to teach them. So, you know, that's why I think education for healthcare providers is so huge. You know, because I I was so disappointed to hear that, you know, some patients would come to our cannabis clinic because their doctor basically said, if you use cannabis, we'll fire you as a patient. You know what I mean? So there was a huge need and stigma still. I mean, I think in Canada, there's still about only 6% that authorize cannabis. So even though it's nationally approved, it's, it's legal, both on the adult use front and the medical, there's still a lot of apprehension um, from healthcare providers. Wow, only 6% of physicians will recommend? Or are you able to prescribe in Canada? Or um, we still... call it authorize. Authorize, okay. So it's kind of the same as prescribing, yeah. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. So what was that? So you had never had any experience with cannabis at all before jumping into this? Were, were you no. su- surprised <laughs> no. by the effects? I mean, I, I'm curious about that experience. Um, well, it was interesting. Um So I don't even, I'm not on any medications, you know, so I'm pretty healthy that way, which is good. And I'm even like, um, sensitive to just a little bit of wine. So, um, I'm pretty sensitive to THC. So it's not so much my friend personally, (laughs) CBD. I don't mind. I do find that it does definitely have that anti-anxiety quality. So I use CBD oil. Um, and on occasion I'll, I'll try, I'll do a joint with a little bit of THC or whatever, just a few puffs Cause there's only so much I can handle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I totally understand. Me too. I actually find that my brain doesn't quite work. I, I they say there's no hangover. I actually end up with a bit of a hangover for a couple oh, days dear, afterwards. Right? Yeah. Not a hangover sure. per se, but I, I can feel the fog. I can feel the words not coming as well as they normally would. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a very personalized experience, right? Very personalized. Yeah. Very personalized. Well, like you said, CBD works wonders. I struggled with sleep for the longest time and started using CBD oil about an hour before bed. And I, I sleep amazing now. So 
I think it helps me because I'm such a workaholic. I need to turn it off. Mm. You know what I mean? So CBD and then I, I cut off the, you know, my, my electronics and I try to put my phone down. So I'm not looking emails and, and that kind of helps me relax and, and go to sleep for sure. Yeah. Have you, have you tried the orange glasses yet? The yeah. blue, the blue blocking orange glasses. Yeah. Oh yeah. That that's another trick. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. It helps to start the melatonin increasing oh, right. earlier yeah. because you're not getting any blue light coming in to keep uh, cortisol going. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. So, so you started working in these clinics, opening up these clinics. I imagine it was a fairly steep learning curve just to be able to get up to speed to help these patients. You you recommend, I mean, you suggested that there was just a total dearth of information out there and education out there. What was the process like for you educating yourself? Um, sure. So, I mean, I kind of, because I'm a, a researcher, you know, it's, I wouldn't just Google something, you know what I mean? Because <laughs> there's so much misinformation out there, right? So not everything you read is credible. So for me, um, the education really started with kind of reading credible sources, publications. So I wanted to really kind of dive into what research has been done, what has been the efficacy, because I felt like if uh, even if a doctor questioned me that wanted to send their patient, I needed to have some sort of body of knowledge for myself and just understanding the science of it. Because how can I understand how cannabis is going to work for neurological pain or for sleep or anything if I didn't understand the science behind uh, cannabis and how the endocannabinoid system work. Um, so I really kind of delved into educating myself and, and if there were any one of cannabis one-on-one from physicians um, that were pretty good in the space, I would try to listen to those things as well. Um, and I was also in a position not just to hire educators, but I had to train them. And then I was in a position where I, I then was starting to do kind of um, outreach and like going to hospitals, doing grand rounds and stuff like that. So when you have a bunch of doctors in front of you, you can't just, you have to have everything referenced. Exactly what you're saying is referenced and you, you can quote where you got that information from. So really, you know, I, so I got used to building that kind of, um, those kind of slide decks and information packages and things like that. So. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I have to be armed for those for those doctors. <laughs> so what tell me about this new business of yours, the the Node Group. Sure. So I think after a few years of helping set up cannabis clinics, I also did a number of research studies. So one of the things I kind of identified with the first clinic I worked at was that um, the U.S., I know some states have certain indications that you're allowed to authorize for or prescribe for. In Canada, we don't have a list. And we're getting all kinds of patients, not just chronic pain or neurological pain, but everything from anxiety, autism, like MS, um, you know, across the board. What, what I wanted to do, and one of the ways that I was able to direct doctors to come work for us was that I built kind of a research framework. So we were kind of assessing their pain scores before taking cannabis, after the anxiety scores, depression, PTSD symptoms. So really at least having some data behind us of this, okay, we, we gave them cannabis and is there a therapeutic benefit that we could document? And so that's kind of how we built that. And because I did that, I was able to do a number of clinical trials for different cannabis companies. So after a few years of this, I really felt like there was a really a lack of cannabis companies out there, you know, their cannabis companies are doing all these capital raises, they have all this money, but really, it's not going towards research and helping to move that industry forward with data. And so I felt like, you know, when I 
joined with two other partners um, to create Node Group. And we just created that early this year. I wanted to create a way to do clinical research studies for not just cannabis, psychedelics, so plant-based medicine in general, and be able to do it in a cost-effective way so that companies could put some money towards um, research. Because I recognize plant-based medicine companies are not like pharma. They don't have millions and millions and millions to put forward. And so trying to put together the ability to do research on kind of being able to look at virtual clinical trials using technology and things like that to collect data to make it easier for companies to invest in clinical trials. So that's kind of what we're starting to do. We're starting to go more global to other countries that are just starting up and seeing if they want to start building that research framework from the beginning and doing clinical research, clinical trials. That's fantastic. And so here in the States, we have the Food and Drug Administration, which has squashed almost all research around plant-based medicines and cannabis. And it's, it's almost impossible to be able to get a clinical study done. Is there an overarching organization in Canada that is putting some barriers between you and your research now, or is it totally open because of the legal shift in this country? And I think that Canada is a good way if there is a U.S. company that wants to do clinical trials, potentially Canada could be a good place for it because of our legalization. And we do have something called shred grants where there's some tax money that comes back that helps with decreasing the cost for clinical trials. But you're not limited. Um, you know, there is the ability to do clot trials in other like European countries and things like that. Um, you know, there's a lot of other countries that we could potentially do clinical trials. So we're not limited, even though we're a Canadian-based company, we're really looking at doing clinical trials outside on a global level. Great. Right. And, and so there's, but there aren't any government structures that are stopping you from doing these trials. No, no. But there are requirements, like we have to have um, good manufacturing practices. So it's a next level of uh, quality. So there's nothing stopping us, but there is some barriers to be able to do a clinical trial. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. And you're able to do other plant medicines as well with some psychedelics and things like that. Mm -hmm. Wow. Canada's just so much more open than we are. <laughs> well, I think there's psychedelic research in cannabis is just in the U S it's just more challenging with your There is. It's right? yeah. very challenging. It's yeah. very, very challenging. I think there's maybe six, seven different studies going on right now, but they, I, I know the stories behind those have been a nightmare trying to get them challenging, going. Challenging. Yes. Yeah. Wild. So um, I know this company just started. What kind of traction are you getting? Um, right now, there's interest in more kind of global partners. Um, so we're looking at kind of Europe, France, um, also um, Latin America. So we're now starting to have some discussions in terms of kind of more assessment of their needs for research. But we're also getting some interest on the education front as well. Because one of the things we didn't do well when I told you a few years ago, I'm trying to figure out how to run a cannabis clinic, is that you know, Health Canada gave this authority of doctors can go ahead and authorize people for cannabis, but no education came out of that. Hmm. So doctors and nurses and pharmacists are scratching their head going, okay, that's great and all, but how do we do this? How do we figure out what dose makes sense for a patient? And, and how do we titrate dosing? There was like zero information. And so I think other countries are realizing that education has to be a very key component for legalization if they're going to legalize medical and that there has to be that educational support out um, to their, their medical community. Absolutely. And, that and patients as well, not just the medical side, but patients through the, the medical community, the patients need to be educated because a lot of patients... They get this, go ahead, you can have cannabis, and they have no clue what to get. There's an array of stuff out there 
And it's unfortunate because without that assistance there, they could take months and months and just hit miss and have no idea what they're doing and how to navigate. Yeah, exactly. And, and also at the same time, this is a strange sort of place where a lot of times patients know more than the physicians are about the product too and what works for them because they've been trying hit or miss over the years and they finally are legally allowed to go to a doctor and say, hey, I know this works for me and for these reasons. Often they have more time than the physician does to do the research themselves. It's interesting. When I started the first clinic, my educators were a couple of nurses and actually some patients that came to me and said, I really want to work at this clinic and help other patients. So actually it was like half people that were patients that were just so good at understanding cannabis and then nurses as well. So it was a combination because like you said, patients themselves, because they've gone through it, know more than a lot of the healthcare professionals. So. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And cannabis users tend to be an enthusiastic bunch. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so this leads nicely into this educational program that you did at the Michener Institute. And I would hope you could just tell me a little bit more about how that came about. And you just finished the first 12 week course. Is that correct? Yes. So, yeah. So um, I had kind of approached Mishner because I did some work for them previously more on kind of the research education side. And I felt like they were a good institution. And I kind of felt like going through teaching myself cannabis and, and teaching other educators, I really did see that there was a gap of how clinics operated with cannabis. Some would say they're called a cannabis clinic, but really just write a script for somebody and there's no education, no communication. Um, their staff are not trained. And because I was a consultant for some of these clinics, I felt like that was a big gap. There needs to be a place. Um, and a lot of education was given by the cannabis company. So the companies that sell it, which really is not kind of an unbiased, neutral way of giving education, obviously, because, and that was really the education that was out there was from companies that were selling. And so obviously they're not talking about a lot of things like con medications and adverse events and other balanced kind of education. So um, I approached Mishner and, and UHN and with kind of a proposal that I think that they should look at doing a cannabis education program geared to healthcare professionals. I kind of looked at it like the diabetes education program. So when a patient has diabetes, it's kind of mandatory that they have a diabetes educator that teaches them because it's kind of individualized how you give insulin, you have to check your sugar, um, you need to be taught diet and stuff like that. And I felt like cannabis kind of falls in that category. It's not like any other medication where you do need education that goes along with giving someone cannabis because it's not like it's a drug with a DIN number that it tells you exactly how much you should take three times, three times a day, you take five milligrams. You know what I mean? It's not like that. Right. And so I kind of felt that if we mimicked kind of a diabetes educator program, that kind of made sense. And so I was happy. It took a year, but they, they approved it after a year. <laughs> they were maybe a little conservative initially, but kind of realized after a while that this was something that was really needed. And um, how we started the program is we pulled together an advisory committee, which actually included patients as well and healthcare providers and pharmacists and everything. And that was really interesting. And actually included growers too that were independent. And it was really great because, you know, in my mind, I would just think, okay, we got to do science. We got to talk about AEs. But it was really interesting. A lot of the feedback was you need to teach doctors about prohibition and nurses and health because they have a lot of stigma and they need to understand their stigma and they need to know how to communicate effectively in plain language that we understand. And they need to know how to dose and how to help us with follow-up visits. And so we incorporated everybody's feedback 
And, um, and that's how we built the program. We made sure that we got feedback from everybody that would be impacted by this type of education, including patients. And we built the program around everybody's feedback. And we decided that usually programs that are good are usually six weeks or 12 weeks. I think too quicker than that or too longer, it's too much. So we just built it around 12 weeks. Um, and yeah, it was our first run at it. We just finished. We're going to be doing another one in September. So it was, it was, a, it was a great success. I mean, it was a lot of interaction. And at the end, we gave a case study and all the healthcare practitioners that were in the course had to actually come up with an educational plan and also present it. So we had to make sure that they thought about the environment, the physicality of the patient, what they were able to do. Like really, it had to be very, education starts with the patient, not the cannabis. You know what I mean? So it's really about the patient first and it really has to be patient centric, you know, giving them information and not being, um, not making, not having that stigma. If they say they want to, to smoke instead of oils or instead of capsules, it's there to educate them and know that they're an adult and they're there to make their decision. And then you're supporting that decision and helping them with um, their selection of cannabis and helping them through the process. I think that's great. And so the physicians aren't just getting the education around how to use the medicine and how to help their patients, but you also have them have some real concrete, something to take back to their clinics and, and their practices. That's fantastic. And it's the same. We have different people training. So we have, doctors we have pharmacists we have nurses we have we have a uh, two legal people that do the legalities so it's really trying to find the right specialist to train each thing so we go through history science legalities we also go through the research literature to teach them where the evidence is strong where maybe it's not um, adverse events drug interactions precautions and also really how do you select the appropriate delivery for that patient and the dosing and dose titration and then there's a whole area on effective communication, interpersonal skills, and all that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And you mentioned the growers. I, I was a cultivator for 15 years in California, so that's what my heart's in, in the growing process. So what were the growers doing there? So one of the things that um, a lot of doctors and nurses and, and the community is really kind of stay, not a lot of them will sign just for a patient, give them an authorization so they should grow themselves. And so the growers were like, it's so hard to find a doctor. Like, why are, is the doctor making me go and buy it at a licensed producer? So licensed producer here are companies that sell cannabis when I could just have my five plants myself. And so part of the education was teaching that piece of it too, that, you know, this is helpful for a patient because they may not be able to afford buying it at a licensed producer or, you know, on the adult use market. And why aren't we just, what's the difference? Why can't we? authorize a patient so they can grow themselves because they can't grow themselves without like for medical without the authorization. Mm-hmm. So it, we felt it was important to educate on that aspect as well. Yeah, it's really important. And it gets into lots of things. I get pretty geeky on it, but you know, the uh, microbiome is such an important part of the growing process too. So it starts with the soil mm-hmm. and making sure that it's rich in nutrients so that you're able to get really high quality medicine out of the product that you're growing. I think it's amazing that people, especially with plant-based medicine, that people can grow their own medicine. Yeah. Like, I think that's amazing. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't know. How about that? <laughs> the earth is How different a marvelous from the place. Drugs. Yes. I know. Well, and the thing is, too, that so many of the prescription drugs are based on different plant alkaloids that they were able to find. 
So yeah, it feels like we're going to be able to come back, come back around a little bit. I too. hope so. I really hope so. <laughs> I really hope so. You are, your group is geared in plant medicines. And so you obviously have an interest in this. What do you see as, I mean, do you, are you looking at other plant medicines, some more like uh, naturopathic care remedies, some I mean, like hundreds, thousands year old remedies that you can dig up? Like, What kind of things are you looking at? Um, you know what? I'm not necessarily looking at anything. It's more that I want people to know that the service is here. Mm. And, you know, I recognize that a plant-based company is not like a pharma company and they're kind of disadvantaged that way. They don't have a whole research team and regulatory team to help them with navigate research and clinical trials. So we're, we're trying to be that for companies. And so really just trying to get the message out there that we are here to help with whether it's education and a consultancy or clinical research studies, because we have a lot of experience in that area, myself and my um, co-founders. So, I mean, a lot of people don't know, there's even like, like if we look at COVID, the vaccine, there's a company out of Montreal in Canada that um, their um, vaccine is actually from the tobacco plant. So there's a lot of plant-derived medications that people are not even aware of. So if we look at um, a company um, in China, they actually have a new Alzheimer's drug, which actually is very promising. That's actually going to be in the U.S. They're starting studies in the U.S. And actually it's seaweed based. So there's a lot more outside of cannabis and psychedelics. I mean, those are the ones that we're really talking about. Um, But I mean, even psychedelics, when we look at, um, you know, psilocybin is a big area now Um, looking at depression. There hasn't been a drug that's come out for depression in so many years. So it's, it really is an area that's lacking. PTSD as well. We've seen psychedelic drugs do amazingly well in that space, right? So with, with uh, PTSD symptoms. So I think that, you know, those are the ones that a lot of people are talking about, but there's been, pharma has been looking at uh, plant-derived medication for years. People don't necessarily know that they're plant-derived medications. Yeah, I think it's interesting because the the pharma model seems to have its base in physiological medicine. If there's a specific area in the body that they can target, they can get it. But for some of the more psychological and even psycho-emotional things, these plant medicines seem to have a far greater effect than the pharmaceutical model does. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the depression medications don't work better than placebo. <laughs> so. <Yeah. laughs> So it's really time that we find some good direction in there. Yeah. 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 Great. Um, And so I also saw that you you have your own podcast as well. I do. I just started. I'm new. (laughs) Cool. Well, I'm still pretty new. I'm just a a few months in, but yeah. yeah, So uh, tell me a little bit about your podcast, please. So, um, so how the podcast came about is um, I've been, I oversee a nonprofit group called Clinical Research Association Canada. They've been around three, uh, 20 years, 25 years now. And um, I do monthly events where I have different uh, key researchers talk on different topics. So I did one on psychedelics and research a while back, right before the COVID lockdown. I just slipped one vent in there before that happened. I recently did something on like all the key COVID COVID research that's happening um, from vaccines, treatments. So because I was always doing this every month and meeting all these great people and researchers, I thought, well, why don't I just piggy bank on those events and do a podcast as well, because there are so many people that would be like, Oh, I, I missed the event. I wish I was there and it's live. So once it's done, it's done. You can't go back and, and hear what they have to say. And so that's why I kind of, and it was because I was invited to do a podcast. I wasn't familiar with podcasts. And so 
after that, I thought I should do something like this. And so <laughs> it's called the Research Slayer. And really, it's just highlighting key researchers and just talking to them about the research that they're doing and, 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 so, and things like that. And just whatever interesting topics are current. So artificial intelligence and use of that in research, just kind of any kind of topics that are of interest at any given time. Yeah. It's great. Fun. Has it been a fun process for you? It's been a very learning process. I finally figured out how to record live and then COVID happened. And then I had to figure out how to do Zoom and do that kind of stuff like you're doing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, it's funny. Didn't know that I had to be an audio engineer, but I guess yes. apparently I do. <laughs> and marketing person and so many things. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. But I've learned a lot through the process of doing this. Yeah, good. It's uh, So have I. It's, it's fun to to learn all these different things that you never knew you had to do just to do one thing that you wanted to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So is there anything else you'd like to, to share that you're interested in? Um, no, I think I touched on a lot of things. You asked some good questions. I think, you know, uh, uh, my hope is that, you know, I know that we're doing this in Canada and it's a full virtual course, but definitely I think, you know, in the U S or any countries that are starting to look at cannabis. I think it's so critical that um, educators that the healthcare providers, or it doesn't even have to be healthcare providers, the educators that are on the front line with patients really need to be educated so that they can help patients because they're really looking to us. Um, you know, some are experienced and they know exactly what they want and that's great. But then there's people that are really naive to cannabis and they need that support. You know, the worst thing is they go up because their buddy says, oh, try this. It worked really well for me and it's too high of a TAT. They get a bad experience and you know, they've decided not to touch it again, but they never really had a, the benefit of being taught how to use it and, and potentially it could have helped them with whatever their conditions were. So, right. Exactly. I feel like, especially in this climate where so many, in Canada, of course, it's legal across the whole country, but in the States, we've got 34 States now that where it's legal and that takes away a lot of the stigma for some people that may have been interested in trying this for years, but wouldn't because of its legality. And so now they come into it knowing absolutely nothing maybe even been taught their whole life to fear and hate it so these educational programs are critical and even patients telling their story is great too it starts to destigmatize it if you see the person because sometimes people kind of think okay what kind of people go and use cannabis but it's highly functional people you know what i mean it's it's lawyers it's medical professionals it's you know it's you know so that, that to get that stigma away, it's it's your grandmother. You know what I mean? It's it's such a wide variety of people that are using cannabis. And so hopefully as people start seeing more and more people coming out and communicating about the benefits of cannabis, that could also help too in terms of education. Absolutely. And even pediatrics, you know, the, yeah. the epileptics and yeah, it's really incredible. So everybody can benefit from it and that mm -hmm. you don't have to have some kind of psychological euphoric um, effect from it. It's so it's, yeah, it's incredible medicine. Mm -hmm. All right. So I always have one question that I ask every guest and I'm excited because you're in Canada. And so you might have a different answer and I'm actually may know your answer already based on our conversation. But if there's one thing that you could see change within the medical cannabis industry, what is that? Oh my God. There's so many things. Um, I guess, cause I'm a researcher, I'd like to see more research done. Yeah. <laughs> I think data, you know, says a lot about, because I think definitely anecdotal evidence individual is great, but I think that until you start showing real kind of clinical trials and strong evidence, and I think cannabis is so great to do research because it's not like another pharmaceutical product where it's like you said, it's geared to one thing. 
cannabis, it just affects so many different areas. You know, you take it for pain, but it also helps with your sleep. It also helps your anxiety. You know what I mean? It has this, all of these effects, right? So I think it would be great to see more clinical trials and continue to um, push that industry forward through data. Yeah. And it's also, there's so many variables in place. So you can say this level of THC and this level of CBG and this level of THCV and these two terpenes, put all those together. What does that do for the patient? (laughs) I'd love to see formulations and there are some companies, but I think that they're doing formulations, but there's not a lot of interest in moving that forward because right now we grow something, patients take whatever it is that we have. And that's not really how medicine works. Medicine works that you formulate it. So I think once we learn more about the other cannabinoids, we put some data, because we do a lot on CBD. Well, before it was all THC. Now we're starting to see CBD, but we're not seeing anything else. You know what I mean? And our terpene data is really preclinical data, right? So I think it'd be great to start putting some evidence behind some of these other cannabinoids. And the more we understand it, it would be great because now we can put formulations together. So if you thought that, you know, cannabis worked for neurological pain. Can you imagine if we start formulating stuff in terms of how to combine it in the best way for that or how to combine it the best way for sleep? I think then we're really, we're going to even see better efficacy and therapeutic change once we start doing that. So I think I'd love to see it evolve that way. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, <laughs> it's so wild to think that we've had this as a legal a medicinally legal plant in some states and in some countries for 20, 25 years now. And, and we're still just barely able to research this product and find out what we need in order to help the patients the most. It's really it's ridiculous, but it's an exciting time because of that as well. And so as you're experiencing. Great. Um, well, where can folks find you and find out more about your businesses and such? Um, I sent you my links. Um, so I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. Um, I'm on Instagram, so I'm pretty much everywhere. So if you look up Sabrina Ram Calvin, I think you, you should be able to find me. Um, if you look up the research layer, my podcast is there. Um, and on node group is, is on Twitter, Insta, and also LinkedIn as well. Great. Well, I'll definitely put all those in links in the show notes for sure. So everyone okay, can get great. at you. Well, great. Well, thank you, Sabrina, so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And, uh, keep up the good work. I'm really excited to see what kind of research you're able to to do with your node group and help people do. I hope, I hope I get a lot coming up yeah. soon. Great. <laughs> Take so care. Great. Thanks great. for inviting me. Bye. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode with Sabrina. I really enjoyed speaking to her, and I really appreciate her commitment to the medicine. Being a researcher and having experience in opening clinics to being asked to consult and help people open up cannabis clinics, even though she had never used cannabis herself, and she took the dive, tried it out, because that's the kind of woman that she is. It's very cool, and it developed a level of compassion and passion for bringing plant medicines, not just cannabis, but all different medicines, psychedelics and herbs and things like that, to people that may not be getting the kind of treatments that they need from conventional Western medicine. And this is so important. So let's continue to support people like Sabrina and keep having folks like her on this show. And the best way to do that is to give me a good rating. So please head over to Apple or Stitcher and do that. Until next time, my friends, please stay healthy and enjoy yourselves. This Edge of Cannabis Medicine podcast is copyright EM2P2 Inc. 2020. All rights reserved. 
Podcast use and availability is governed by terms and disclaimers available at edgeofcannabismedicine.com forward slash terms. I'm your host, Matthew Myro, and thank you for listening. 